The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Here we go on the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. Been in the news the last couple of uh, couple of days, actually. Um, talk about uh, revitalizing Chinatown. That's right. Members of the Economic Tax Task Force in Edmonton's Chinatown, they're asking the city for $1.2 million to start a new nonprofit in charge of revitalizing and community engagement. Sandy Pond, a volunteer with that team, joins us in studio right now. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Sandy, what's happened over the years in that part of town? Well, the thing is that you see all that uh, urban decay, as I call it. Uh, it's been neglected for many, many, many years. Um, and now when you, when you go through the areas of downtown, you see the wonderful development ice district and the redevelopment of the quarters. It really creates a ch- contrast. Oh, it's a huge contrast, yeah. yeah. So a let couple me ask blocks you, over. Let me ask you a dumb question because I honestly don't know the answer to this at all. Whose responsibility is it when a particular area or neighborhood falls into disrepair? Is it the neighborhood's problem? Should they have not let it fall into disrepair? Or is the city responsible for ensuring that doesn't happen to any neighborhood? The government can only be they can be only be responsible for so so many things, right? It is the neighborhood, the residence itself, but a lot of times it's due to economic factors. And uh, and then you look at tax base, uh, the demographic changes. With the Chinatown area, that's 52 acres. A lot of people mm-hmm. didn't realize how big it is for Edmonton because it, it the boundary starts from Jasper Avenue to 107th Avenue and then from 95th Street up to 101st Street, mm-hmm. which is right now the boundary to to ice district. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I guess my question is: Shouldn't the people who have the businesses along there be taking care of it? They can only do so much. They can only do so much. You got to look at a lot of these businesses are just mom and pops, right? Okay. And if the economy is not doing well, then there is no way they can, you know, exist in that neighborhood or inject any more money. Um, it's it's chicken or the eggs. You know, if you got the money, you can do something. But if you don't see there's an economic gain or you don't see the profit profitability, you just won't invest in the area. So now you see all these dead zones, as I call it. You will see gravel uh, lots that are turned into uh, parking lots or you would have houses that are boarded up um, because you don't have the proper renters or you know you can make money in that Mm -hmm. area then what do you do you just bulldoze the house that is fairly Mm -hmm. old and then make it to uh, these empty vacant lots so what's your plan then you're you want 1.2 million dollars from the city what's that money going to be used for well that's a four-year there's a four. That's a four-year plan. So it's not 1.2 million all you know as, as a lump mm-hmm. sum. It's divided into four years. We don't anticipate to draw that much money because w- most important is that we got to start it somehow, and then hopefully that we can be self-sustainable via membership, via the development in the area, and uh, with community engagement. But that money is going in to build this infrastructure that we're going to hire people that we're able to brand and market the area. We started with the the Chinatown strategy and that's where the task force came in and we finally compiled this booklet this report to the city of Edmonton uh, it was 18 actions and we pared down to five strategies where we have to make sure that the neighborhood has to be safe secure and we want to do economic development we want to make sure that there is leadership in that area mm-hmm. because you need to find the right people to to have that proper uh, conversation and then Building Chinatown as a destination for tourism, 
and plus the fact that because it is Chinatown and we have had we've had a lot of historical cultural landmarks there. Some of them has been taken away, mm-hmm. like for example the Harbin Gate yes. that came mm-hmm. down. Um, that again due to poor planning from the LRT, and that goes back to the city of Edmonton. Everything uh, goes everything back goes, to the LRT. Well, you look at the neighborhood right now; it, the people feel under siege. All that construction. I know it's growing pains. It will. It will get better, but. You can't. Most of the people who live in the area or having businesses there will not last that long to see all the good things to come. So we need to jump in and and help every one of them and get things started. And if 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 the philosophy is that if you build it, they will come, but you need somebody who starts that. Mm-hmm. And we need to put a plan together. And that's where we come in. You know what, Sandy? I remember there was a lot of talk um, during the development of ICE District, and there was a lot of concern about, um, you know, the folks who some of our homeless people, some of our um, some of our people who are addicted, and being pushed and pushed out of that area and being pushed out onto the outskirts. We look at, you know, where Boyle Street is. We look at where a lot of the um, the the organizations that help those folks are located has ice district pushed more of um, those folks into chinatown and how do you deal with that uh that is part of the reasons so it's coming to a boiling point that's why we have to this this particular initiative that we have to activate um the agency, social agency, has been there for a long time. Actually, compared to other municipality in Canada, Edmonton has the most social agency yeah. in a five-block radius, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the homelessness, uh, it's a big conversation right now. I mean, do uh, government get you know intervene and they come in and they create housing and so forth? Uh, will that be? Uh, provide a negative impact to the local residents that are already there because in the last couple of years there has been a really good uh, feel of revitalization people are willing to put money in to build new housing small big large developments are coming in but we have these other things such, such as the social in, uh, the safety injection sites and then some of them being increased in, in, capa- in the capacity of serving those clientele it is really creating a negative impact in the area but the ice district does push some of the people into that area but you can't you can't really do a, a full displacement of a particular population um, typically and historically in Chinatown has a multi-ethnic mm-hmm. and a very big you know population of indigenous people uh, a lot of the people are, are living below or at poverty line and you got a lot of social agencies and so how do you bring back you talk about bringing pride back to yes. to Chinatown and to that area. How do you do that? So this is why we need to get all stakeholders. And this is not what the government can do because they can only do so much of that. And and after all, you know, this is just one region of in the in the city of Edmonton. Um, when we want to do pride bring pride back is getting the neighborhood leadership, getting community involvement, come back together at a big conversation and pare down what are the necessities? What do we need to do now? What are the things that we need to tackle? That's why daily engagement is very important. But you can't rely on the city of Edmonton to do that every day because that would be very costly to taxpayers. So what do we need to do? Have a grassroots 
organization, knowing what's happening in there. I myself come from an immigrant family. I grew up in the backside of Chinatown. Mm -hmm. So I see the daily struggle. And I know that what needs to be done, but now we need to get the people together who can put the resources, who can bring in the ideas and create this vision. And then, But I'm, I'm yes. confused as to who those people are. Are they people who are in Chinatown now and getting them to spruce up their their store, their restaurant, their home. I mean, what is it you're asking? That That is one of the pillars, one of the strategies, but you got to have this multi-prong, you know, strategy to to, do, to create the proper solutions uh, to it. Stakeholders, it could, it, it would be from the business side, mm-hmm. you know, from the BIA, as we call it, uh, from landowners, developers, uh, to the residents that are living in there, community leagues, social agencies, they have to play a big are part Are they showing that. any interest in yes, being a part are. of this? Yes, they are. Because in the last probably 10 years, I've been working with all these groups mm-hmm. and having different conversations as things come up. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, it could be crisis. And we don't want to have that uh, kind of situation anymore. We don't want to have this ad hoc kind of committee or dealing with something after the fact. Let's be more proactive. Let's create certain plans that um, who knows better about their neighborhood except the people that are living in Mm -hmm. there. Well, that's true, Sandy, but in terms of making it a destination, wouldn't you have to need to know not what the neighborhood thinks of their neighborhood or what they think they need in their neighborhood, but what people who would choose to go to Chinatown as a destination need in the neighborhood. Yes. You know, I I look at Chinatown in Calgary, for example, or I I can think of other cities I've been to that have a Chinatown um, that is successful. There's a lot to do there. Restaurants are usually the (laughs) number one. Um, Some shopping, some unique uh, outlets is another. Safety is another factor. Um, Transportation is another factor. Um, Have you looked at other Chinatowns? Yes, we have. Okay. Yeah, so for example, very successful, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Of course, yep. About three years ago, we had the international uh, conference here about Chinatown because Chinatown, it is a destination. Um, The modern Chinatown today is not occupied by Chinese. It's just that the Chinese community feels that there is a historical significance and it's a landmark. Uh So therefore, we need to preserve that. And it's for everybody to enjoy. And um, so when we had the international conferences, we had about 15 different cities, uh, their stakeholders to come in. And a lot of them did a lot of heavy lifting to transform and uh, did the transformation of their Chinatown. Hence, that's why we created this new entity, Mm -hmm. which is the Chinatown Transformation Collaborative Society. First of all, live up to its name, Transformation for Positive Impact. Collaborative. It's not just the Chinese, but it's all these other people that are working, living, and developing in the area. So we have a lot of great examples that we're we're able to model. Um, so we don't re- we don't have to reinvent the wheel because that's that's that takes too much time. But we're going to take different components that is positive that have uh, been shown in different. Uh, cities, and we're going to put that in Edmonton. But but do you specifically then not need Chinese people to live in Chinatown? You don't have to have it all. Right now, uh, you you look at even different parts of different Chinatown of great municipalities. That's a tough one. That's a long long day (laughs) for me already. I've been talking all day. There is a such a dynamic diversity 
you know, you go into Toronto, mm-hmm. Vancouver, it's different. And uh, people go in there for its, you know, historical significance or cultural flavor. And then you would have a mix of different things. Chinatown is not just for Chinese. That's why we have to say, even though the task force is comprised mostly Chinese Canadians, Mm -hmm. but we want to make sure that other stakeholders are participating in it. So you know that everybody feel that they got a bit of skin in the game. And otherwise, you will not able to provide a, uh, a good solution or successful outcome. So, so, Sandy, what's next then? So, you, you've made the ask to City Council. Where does it go from here? Well, the thing is that uh, we have very good response. And so, right now, we're going to be uh, preparing our business plan. In about four months, we'll be presenting back to Executive Committee and get them to approve it. Um, they want to know specifics, you know, in terms of yep. tasks that we're do- going to be doing and uh, carrying out with our schedule, plus the fact who are going to be the stakeholders uh, on this board. Governance is very important to me. I've mm-hmm. sat on many foundations and and um, been presidents of many organizations. So we need to make sure that the governance is there uh, because after all, 1.2 million is not a small amount of money, mm-hmm. but it is spread out for four years. And we hope to be self-sustainable and not having to use so much of the taxpayers' money. So we need to make sure that the results are there, able to be quantified, and and that people do see there is going to be a di- big difference in about two to three years' time. Mm-hmm. I like this idea better than a gondola. <laughs> Well, there is fun reallocations. <laughs> we can always talk about that. <laughs> well, you know, and I and I think the city, you know, has 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 to appreciate uh, an organization like the one that you're involved with with this, willing to take it on. Thank you. And these are all yeah. volunteers and volunteers, and that's uh, that's a lot of work. And you've got some, you've got a big job ahead of you. Best of luck, and we'll be watching, Sandy. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much. This one uh, takes me back to uh, pranks in high... Well, maybe not high school. Well, maybe university, high school. Yeah, university, university, but yeah. this has been uh, something to watch all day. So uh, police in Toronto have been scratching their heads all day. There was uh, a car, an empty car, left dangling from a cable on a bridge. It, it was burned out. It so was burned a, out. Yeah, it was a, a blue sedan hanging from the bridge. So police, firefighter, uh, firefighters, paramedics all showed up. They had to close the Don Valley Parkway. They arrived. The car had no engine, no passengers inside. Um, and it was hanging over top an area that's pretty ho- uh, popular with runners and joggers and hikers and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so they've been trying to figure it out. At first, they thought that it may have been part of a movie shoot. Right, and one of the reasons they thought that, because it was tied to a winch system, <laughs> and they said that it would take an engineer to be able to figure out the right uh, uh, you know, Hello, gauge. ding, 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 ding. Yeah, that should be your first clue, because engineering students in general are notorious for, for these kind of things. For doing stuff like this. Right. Um, but they did think it was a, a movie shoot, but then some back investigation no. discovered that no one had asked for a permit. And I know from shooting in Toronto, you need all kinds of permits, so they're, they're well aware of who's shooting there. Um, so that's not it. Then another theory was perhaps it's just a prank, uh, like uh, ones that have done in years past by university college students, but nobody's taking credit for it uh, just <laughs> students? yet. So the investigation continues, yeah, and it's just a waiting game. Uh, actually, Toronto Mayor John Tory also weighed in, yeah. saying when he was asked about this, he was asked about it at an unrelated news conference this morning, and he said, I just saw some of the pictures myself. 
that came from television, and I was mystified as to how the car ended up there. I'm just shaking my head in disbelief. But, you know, this has got to be university students, like engineering students from... Yeah. From from somewhere. That that's the first thing that I go to because we've heard about stories like this before and I've you know, whether you've put your your principal's um, VW Beetle on top of the school roof. Wasn't that you? <laughs> no, I had nothing Someone, to do with that. I remember having this conversation on this show of the the stuff that you did or wedging mm-hmm. something in or rebuilding a car in somebody's office, that kind yeah, of thing. That yeah, that sort of thing, but to for the ones dangling off the bridge tend to be some sort of high-end Students. Well, and for no one to notice them doing, doing it. Because you can't do it really quickly, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's still a thing or if this even exists, but I know that students at uh, Dalhousie University in Halifax each year during Frosh Week, Freshman Week, um, would steal the robotic signaling arm from one of the bridges. I can't recall yeah. which one to Dartmouth. It, and I don't know that they even have it, but it was sort of a guy who he's sort of from the waist up, he's a human robot, and his arm just goes up and down with a light signaling <laughs> that you've got to get to the right or left, I can't recall. But every year it would get stolen during Frosh Week. So every year, and it was always returned, always. But it would show up at a party, and the various universities, Halifax has a lot of universities. So you have uh, St. Mary's University, Dalhousie University, you have uh, Mount St. Vincent University, uh, there's there's just a ton of schools there, so it would become a competition among the various schools as to who could steal who it could first. Get it. Yeah, and police knew that, and they would keep an eye on it. But it got stolen every year. But this, man, yeah, that's a whole new level. But I don't even know how you get this car down, which I'm sure was the question. I'm sure those well, they, words were yeah. Said they they out loud. pretty much cut it down and just let it fall to the ground. Which below there's a walking trail. By yeah. The way, so and so they managed to get a bag of evidence. They they pulled some stuff out of it, not knowing what it is uh, yet. But we'll keep you <laughs> we'll keep you updated on it. But can you just imagine well, that? And we still have an update, and I'm <gasps> excited to hear about Mr. Nibbles. Mr. Nibbles. That's coming up. I, think, I know a lot of our listeners I think are curious we need to, to know. I think we need to do the Mr. Nibbles update at the same time that we talked about Which Mr. Was, 415, 417. Okay, so don't go anywhere. Within 45 minutes, we'll have an update. On, oh, that's right, because we was, ended up talking to Gord about <laughs> it. Right. So we want to get it done before we talk to Gord, though, for fear so, well, that he scoops us. Oh, well, no, I, 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 I don't think so. I don't think that he's on Facebook to track down the owner okay. of Mr. Nibbles. All right, fair enough. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.